0: Hello, I'm Anthony Sanna.
1: I'm Dr. Michael Smith,
0: And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, episode 23, Surviving Modern Medicine.
1: Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health.
0: Hello and welcome to Fusion Health Radio. If you're a loyal listener, thanks for tuning in and thanks for tuning in. If this is your first time here, welcome. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you today?
1: Pretty good. A little sore.
0: You've been working out too much? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, not too much. I just overdid it.
0: You care to elaborate on that?
1: Uh, well, it's a bit embarrassing, but I've come to this uh, little challenge I like to do it to myself in the gym probably once a month. Or I go to the gym and I try and lift 100,000 pounds in under 100 minutes.
0: I'm going to say that you're not doing that all at once, right?
1: Uh, No, I think that would squish me like a bug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, No, I just do like, you know, I limit my weights to 100 pounds. So the math is easier. So then I just do 10 sets, that's 1,000. And then I do, you know, or 10 reps and that's 1,000 and 10 sets, that's 10,000. So basically I just do 10 exercises that way.
0: And, uh, in that whole process, uh, it all adds up to a hundred thousand pounds.
1: Yep. Yeah. I woke up on Sunday a couple of months ago and I just had this weird urge to try it. So.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, uh, for the sake of uh, folks who uh, haven't heard who you are before, uh, you're not just a weightlifting uh, fool. <laughs> <laughs> Only once a month. Only once a month. Uh, what else do you know?
1: I practice integrative medicine. Uh, I do that by combining functional medicine and nutritional medicine with the vast wisdom and tradition. Uh, of Chinese medicine. So great. So and uh, been doing it over 20 years now. Uh,
0: 20 years and 23 podcasts. And, uh, and here you are today. And here I am today. Yeah, Great. <laughs> here you are. And here I am. Uh, my name again, it's Anthony Santa and I'm the, the host of the, the program here. And uh, for what it's worth, I think I've more learned more from Michael in terms of health and diet and nutrition in the past. Has it been two, three years mm-hmm. ish um, than I have in the whole 40 uh, odd before that um i came to michael with my own uh, health challenges a couple of years ago and uh, worked through that successfully and then still i'm going to touch something that's wood around here you can Use my head yeah there we go <laughs> uh and still rocking it um and michael and i decided to get together and uh, create a podcast he tapped me on the shoulder and said hey you know how to do this sort of thing let's get together and do it so um uh, we created fusion health radio episode 23 wow yeah here we are. Here we are. And um, this uh, episode today, surviving modern medicine. Um, give me a snapshot. What's it all about?
1: Well, I mean, as a clinician, I uh, being on the integrative medicine side, I work with a lot of regular doctors, and we share a lot of patients. And um, I mean, just based on the review of my patients and my own experience as a patient, um, we've kind of made Western medicine so seemingly efficient uh, in a certain way that a lot of people don't get the kind of care you know that they would expect or would need i've often said that you know we don't really have health care in canada we have illness management you know in the sense the government will pay for uh the government will will pay for a standard model of care uh but you know i think now you're given seven minutes and you're allowed to bring up one or two things Mm
0: -hmm. and And, now i'm just going to call you on that i'm going to assume that it's the same way in the states
1: uh I, i'm i'm assuming so
0: illness management i can't imagine that it's oh, any better down there
1: they, they have the worst statistics of, right. uh, of an industrial like they're i mean they have the i guess you'd say the biggest economy on the planet you know the biggest military the biggest everything else and they have some of the worst health statistics of any industrialized nation so i love using their statistics because they're kind of like a yield sign for the rest of the world you know
0: mm-hmm. right um stop before it gets this bad
1: yeah. I mean, I've been to you know, doctors enough time in my life having Crohn's and colitis. The way I've interacted with clinicians, you know, through standard care over that 20 years has gotten worse and worse and worse.
0: Mm. Uh, less and less um, time to actually really get into whatever it is that's actually going on for you.
1: Mm. I mean, in the sense of from, a say, a Chinese medicine point of view, there's questions we ask everybody almost all of the time. We look at their tongue. If we need to, we check their pulse. Uh, So we're constantly in a a place of uh, deepening inquiry, you know, with respect to what's working, what's not, what's going on, Um, you know, noticing little co-infections or whatever. And, you know, usually I can only speak directly from my experience. When I go to see the doctor about something, I have to like go out of my way to make sure that they get all the information that I would want to have if I was the patient. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I think that's the whole basis of doing the podcast is informing people, Mm -hmm. helping them get better educated on their health and, uh, perhaps learning something to help someone else that they, they know. Uh, before we get too far into today's episode, do you want to give us a quick recap of what we did the last time?
1: Uh, last one was a, a bit of a foray into what's called evolutionary medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I based that around what we call the four worlds, um, uh, of say traditional native culture, at least from where I'm from. And, um, uh, It was just a chance, hopefully, to give people a a sense of respect for, you know, our genetics, our epigenetics, our evolutionary, you know, journey through time from being primates to kind of proto-humans to, you know, homesteaders to industrialized busy people that, you know, genetically and physiologically, we're going to do much better, you know, for the most part, mimicking as much as we can uh, the most positive evolutionary pressures we've ever experienced in the last few million years. Um,
0: and. I guess that sort of relates in some way to how it is we're coming to this topic today. There, when you say a few million years, it makes me think of the word evolution. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on our notes here, I actually see the word uh, evolution. Um, you wrote, "We need to, we need a medical revolution or evolution."
1: Well, I think the the idea. I mean, hopefully, in every way, you know, in terms of politics, economies, you know, healthcare, the evolution side is what I'm hoping for. You know, and it's inevitable that we're going to continually see smart people come up with good things. And eventually that'll, you know, trickle down into mainstream culture and society. Uh, But if that doesn't happen, you know, again, politically, economically and medically, it's going to look more like a revolution because people eventually are going to just decide that, um, you know, lining up, you know, for an hour to see a doctor to get a pill And uh, not having them actually try and go deep enough into any inquiry to really try and figure out the why or the root of what, you know, causes certain people to get certain things. I mean, and the the amount of money people spend, you know, for health insurance and stuff like that, it's crazy. I mean, I spoke to someone, and again, I guess I'm going to be picking at the States a bit today, but uh, she'd moved to Canada. And for most of her adult life, she had to pay up to $1,500 a month for health care. And pay that to who? I, don't, I have no idea. Like how it a, private, a private insurance company? I, I, I think so. I think it's changed now. You know, I, I guess it's probably better. But you know, and I think it's because maybe your family had some money or something. But I was just surprised that you know you're paying that like, you know more than your rent for yeah. the off chance you might you know have a skiing accident or. <laughs>
0: well, as uh, and I mean I see it in your face, and you probably see it in mine. As Canadians paying fifteen hundred dollars, let alone fifteen dollars a month <laughs> for mm-hmm. medical care, is kind of um, unheard of.
1: Um, I think most people with uh, basic income uh, in Canada, well, at least in British Columbia, if you make more than $28,000, you start at like 65 bucks a month for medical services plan. And then right. if you make more, you pay more.
0: Yeah, and that's all, I think, uh, up in the air right now before a provincial government in terms of um, how different family situations qualify to pay for that. Um, and there's a bunch of people who think that we, sh- we shouldn't have to pay anything. So having to pay $1,500, wow, that's mm. a bit... Different, um, the, the the idea that um, when you talk about evolution, mm-hmm. and um, certainly I know in my own experience, uh, going to any medical professionals over the past uh, number of years, um, the older I get, the smarter I become because I've invested more time and energy into learning about uh, my health and what challenges I have. Certainly, a podcast like this is something that would I would include into that mix. Um, are people coming to you as a clinician? Are they smarter? Or are they um, uh, still coming to you with Doctor Doctor Hertz? What do
1: I do? Please fix this. I think it has mostly to do with generation, in the sense of age, uh, as well as exposure to the things like the internet and you know podcasts or, or whatever. You know, it's more. Um, so I have a part-time practice uh, in Creston, which is an hour and a bit away, and um, it's primarily seniors, right? So they come in and they have very little expectations in, in the sense of anything else. And I mean, they're ready to get their clothes off and jump on the table so I can do the acupuncture. You know, and when I sit down and try and have a really heartful, you know, conversation about, you know, how are you, what's really going on? Is there anything else we can you know, do to improve your health? And they, they, they almost seem like it, they're they're almost impatient, you know, like, well, yeah, whatever. Come on, I got to get my procedure and get out of here. And I'm like, mm, well,
0: they're just in there for that chiffy lube, uh, 20 minute oil change, and away they go.
1: Uh, well, it's not that so much as that that's how they've been treated their entire lives in a clinical setting. Okay. Whereas younger people have probably spent more time seeing different kinds of clinicians and, you know, Chinese doctors, naturopaths, chiropractors, osteopaths, people that actually are more interested in, you know, what a person's life is like from the inside out. Uh, or, say, from a functional medicine point of view, you know, like being a really, really good detective. And You know, not just going with, oh, you've got this diagnosis. Well, just go with, you know, standard treatment. You know, you could have any condition and 10 other people could have the same diagnosis in the same room. And you could all have very different uh, background physiological makeups that produce that particular disease.
0: When you say older folks are more prone to um, being dispassionate, I think that's what you said. That you get that kind of experience from them where they're not really... Uh, wanting to tune in more to their health?
1: No, I don't. Know, I don't know if I'd say that. And If it came across like that, I was not communicating very well because it's not that they're dispassionate; it's just that they're used to going to see a doctor and being treated, you know, you know, very quickly, like okay. almost. It's almost it's kind of offhand, you know. And I don't remember where I heard this, but I know I was talking to a doctor at some meeting or conference or something like that. And his thing is, you know, after like seventy-five years old, it's gorgeous just basically, you know. You know, drugging them until they're done, because mm. I mean, at that point, you know, it's you know, uh, for social services kind of uh, kind of medicine we have in Canada, you know, they're not going to go and spend a whole bunch of whatever little bit of money our our medical services plan has to really do a lot more for people that have maybe five, six, ten, fifteen years, who knows? But it was it's actually like kind of a almost a collective. Uh, maybe unspoken agreement amongst, you know, frontline clinical care, emergency ward, you know, how you're treated in the hospital at a certain age, you're basically almost in like a kind of hospice holding pattern.
0: Okay. Well, that's that paints a little bit of a different picture. It, and it just makes me wonder, um, is that a recent phenomenon? I mean, has it always been that way around uh, Western medicine?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it's just that, it's, I mean, my mother's a medical doctor. She went back to medical school when I was a teenager and, you know, so proud of her for doing that to, you know lived your life decided i'm going to go back and do med school yeah and we've had lots of conversations because you know we're both on you know have the same job in a sense but we are both sort of I mean, you could say almost politically on different sides of the fence because she has to basically run with the playbook of the canadian you know medical services you know plan of what they do and don't do whereas i i can basically do as much as i want take as long as i want or you know or, you know request any kind of lab test that seems appropriate whereas um, for example and i think this is the same in the states unless you're paying for you know private lab tester or, or functional medicine lab tests uh, if you have a thyroid problem you know from symptomatic point of view and you go to get a lab a uh, blood test they're only going to test for what's called tsh right which is a hormone that your brain uses to tell your thyroid to produce more thyroid hormone to keep it as simple as they can <laughs> And, uh, you know, if that, that number is good and they keep expanding what good is, you know, it should be, you know, under, say, 2.5. And now it's, oh, it's, we're okay if it's under 3.4. Oh, next year it'll be okay if it's under 4.5. I don't know. But they just keep kind of widening the margins of, of what an acceptable marker is. So if it's not really, really high, meaning that your brain is screaming at your thyroid gland to do its job, then they'll say, sorry, you're fine. You know, we're not going to do anything else about that. It's got to be something else. Mm. Or you're not sick enough for us to test the actual hormones themselves or immune system antibodies that may be attacking your thyroid gland. I mean, you know, from a functional medicine point of view, you, you can't really even understand the thyroid without testing for seven different things. You know, so it's it's just a you know, and I, and I get it. And I want to be really clear before we get too much into the, <laughs> the bashing or anything, but... I have a great amount of respect for western medicine i mean they saved my life i don't know how many times from the dumb stuff i get myself into you know in sense of accidents or injuries or whatever but um you know at the same time it's just run itself into a very very strange corner of what seems like efficiency because it's a social thing kind of like welfare you know so now we have this you know, illness management welfare system that, you know, comes along and you're basically guaranteed the cheapest version of treatment. Unless, you know, you're, you know, got bloods pouring out of something and you're in the hospital and they're going to do the amazing things they can with, you know, surgery and, you know, uh, the, the really uh, almost magical stuff that we can do with pharmacology when when it's about something really profoundly, you know, tricky and useful. But so many people are just medicated, because it's the simplest decision to make and it's cheap for mm. the doctor. And in terms of how much, how much does it cost per hour to have a doctor sitting there talking to people and they get paid so many dollars per appointment, you know, so if I can squeeze 10 people an hour, then, you know, I'm making that much more money. Or from the other side of the coin, we're saving the government that much more money.
0: Wow. And I mean, when you describe that sort of situation, I think of um, what it was like going to uh, a doctor when I was a kid you know, in the waiting room and going to see the doc and actually having, um, you know, him talk to my parents and having, you know, a more in-depth kind of conversation um, compared to how uh, I've had experiences, you know, I can't remember the last time I was in a clinic, but I think I might have cut my finger and needed stitches or something like that. I was happy that I was in and out of there for, you know, in seven minutes. (laughs) Uh, But it it must have evolved over the years. Like how did this whole sort of idea of, of the modern minute doctor um come to be
1: well if i was to go back to where what we on fusion health radio radio lovingly call pharma surgical medicine
0: pharma surgical medicine
1: that's my new nickname for the the industry that you know is that part of our healthcare system because <laughs> that's what you're going to get and I, I mean it with a kind of an affectionate kind of you know noogie to your brother or something like that um god i hope the word noogie is used all over the world <laughs> <laughs> wedgie, uh, wedgie? <laughs> something <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of those funny things you do your your siblings but anyway uh, it really all started in world war one world war one yeah.
0: with um,
1: uh basically triage and then surgical care okay if we, if we have enough drugs that we can now anesthetize someone on a battlefield and have the the mechanical tools as well as the the brave you know surgeon of of you know the early 20th, 20th century who are like. I have no idea if this can be done but this guy's lying here we got him on the gas so let's you know get elbow deep and see if we can put this thing back together and you know they're developing all kinds of new uh you know tools and stuff like that i know you ever see the tv show mash it's pretty popular for a while Sure. i mean mean, there was some episode where some guy invented you know some new kind of uh um, forceps or something like that that could you know hold something around a corner and you know keep the belly open at the same time or something and they're all having martinis and <laughs> which is always the best part of the show you know and and just talking about how much more that they can you know accomplish now that they have this you know extra widget and uh and i mean that's literally where western medicine's you know uh emergency you know er kind of protocol started and you know it was such an, an amazing at that time advancement in you know human science and Uh, our capacity to save lives you know not just in war but now from car accidents or you know all those things that you know we're why wouldn't we be proud of course we're proud we're like wow we're so amazing but you know when you're at the leading edge of something um, and everything's sort of breakneck speed you know the next new thing you don't tend to look back and go well you know is this really the right thing to do you know should we add something else to it because you know it's like being a you know the rocket scientist or something you're at the tip of the the sword of whatever your endeavor is and you know you don't you don't see a lot of the people at the tip of the sword looking back asking why we have swords <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> or maybe we should have a scabbard or you know something to balance out the you know the, the risk factors that are involved
0: mm. and so i mean that's um that sounds more like the to use your word pharma surgical that sounds more like the surgical uh uh, evolution of things.
1: Uh, well, I mean, you can't do surgical without pharma, pharmacology, right? Without anesthetics, we're we're not chopping anybody up. And obviously, we all know that pharmaceuticals have, you know, changed our entire civilization. And I'll, I'll say this as it actually happened, um, I can't remember exactly when it was, early around 2000, um, and I'm watching some show. Oh, actually, I was watching Saturday Night Live. Okay. And, you know, they're famous for making commercials during the show that are actually skits. Right. So I'm sitting there, you know, whatever I was, you know, munching on some snack going, oh, this is great. And there's this woman uh, in a living room with her shades drawn. She's hiding behind her couch and she's, you know, almost overacting, being uh, paranoid or something. And they're talking about social anxiety disorder. And wouldn't it be great if you could take Zoloft too? And I'm like, ah ha ha! This is so funny. Saturday Night Life is great. That's that's so funny to be, you know, trying to sell a you know antidepressant, any anxiety drug, you know, in the middle of the night on TV. Because he this was the first pharmaceutical commercial I'd ever seen, hmm. and I, I was laughing. And then you know the show came back on, and I thought I don't, I don't remember which one of the players was in that skit. I don't think must be somebody new.
0: So you thought it was actually part of the the, the, I the comedy a, show.
1: I thought it was a skit, and then the show was over, and the same commercial came back again. Huh. and I'm flipping through the channels because I'm not sleeping so I'm looking for something else to do and I'm like oh my god that's an actual commercial I mm. mean I, I got chills just thinking about if the pharmaceutical industry can make advertisements to sell drugs that are you know risky in terms of side effects and you know you know unproven in the sense of their benefit I mean this isn't going to go very well and now and I don't know I haven't had commercial TV for over 10 years so I don't mostly because I can't stand commercials, not just drug commercials <laughs> or the news. Uh, you know, but when I get, I'm visiting friends or something and they have the TV on, it's just like, okay, that's five drug commercials in this space of, a, you know, an evening or something. And
0: Yeah, it's a little uh, disconcerting to, to realize that that kind of information is actually floating around out there. It, it makes me think of a conversation I had with a friend uh, last week about people who um, just read the headlines on Facebook but never read the article behind it Mm -hmm. and then they talk about it oh yeah I read this thing on Facebook right (laughs) it's about Zoloft it'll help you if you're really depressed yeah that's all I read
1: (laughs) you know and there's I don't know Noam Chomsky is kind of one of my I don't know hero mentor people because he's really really smart and he speaks to some really sort of sketchy and scary things that are underlying our you know society right now and you know it's the whole thing about the medium being the message and that with television but um, just I think of you know because I was at least 15 years ago when I saw that commercial so for 15 years young people children are coming in into the, uh, you know consciousness into adulthood in, into the world with the assumption that the natural thing to do no matter what's wrong with you is to pick the right drug
0: to put the right drug I'm making air quotes here as a band-aid over top of whatever it is that hurts
1: yeah so I mean this is where I, I, I use a nasty word, I guess, not a swear word, but um, if you were trained in clinical counseling or psychiatry and you were asked to diagnose the way we practice Western medicine, as if if it was a patient, you would say this person is suffering from a profound passive aggressive syndrome.
0: And that's how you would describe the pharmacist? the pharmacological industry?
1: Uh, Well, just standard, the way standard modern uh, care is provided because we sit and wait, which is passive aggressive, and the doctors sit and wait and we burp up our symptom or show them our boo-boo and then they'll do the least amount to continue the process by managing that condition. So, oh, you've got this, and I still have patients probably once or twice a year come in saying, "Well, I went to the doctor and I tried to get this thing, and he said you're not sick enough for it to be this, so you'll have to wait until you're sicker so we'll know what it is." I mean that. I mean that's passive aggressive on fire. Mm. I mean, if you were in a marriage, and someone's like, "Well, honey, you know, <clears throat> let's wait until we're actually throwing stuff at each other before we talk about what's bothering you," because <laughs> you're just not mad enough for me to really take you seriously.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at that, but I'm also laughing at. I- think of sheer nervousness (laughs) that actually sounds kind of dangerous
1: yeah it is dangerous you know
0: wow and and um this sort of uh evolution of uh pharmacological care and surgical care and that sort of thing as it's happened over the years um has brought us to i guess the sort of medical um the western medical uh, model that we have right now um is that, I don't know, do you have an answer? Like, is it fixable? Is there something that we can
1: do uh, to... It's going to have to come from within, you know, and my hope is... So, hang on. Within who? Uh, well, from within the establishment of, you know, modern medicine. And I think the only way it's going to happen, and, you know, there's a small tear of sadness welling up in my heart when I say this. because it's So, you know, it's possible, you know, whether it's small tiny little hard to read p (laughs) uh that young people going to medical school will begin to get a broader amount of training and actually decide on their own to change the way that they interact with insurance companies to ensure patient care improves But, I mean, that's going to be the evolution revolution. I mean, as patients, we can jump up and down, and we're going to run into the lawyer with the bottom line saying, sorry, but these corporations just don't want to spend any more money, and that's their right. You know, their job is to give money to shareholders, blah, blah, blah. And we can just, you know, what what are you going to do, you know? Hmm. I mean, we, you know, we can go to, you know, uh, you know, your naturopaths like I said osteopaths Chinese doctor people with uh, a respect for the fact it's take, going to take some time to figure this out but you're gonna have to pay for the most part out of pocket or have really good insurance where they're gonna actually pay for preventative care which a lot of companies are getting behind now but I don't know it's it's for some reason I, I'm seeing like a wave in my head you know this big pile of water going in one direction and this tiny little bit kind of moving towards it in the other direction and you know the, the money machine that doesn't want to spin anything is the big wave kind of crashing, you know, inevitably at some point it's going to fail so badly that it's going to start going in the other direction. But, uh, right now there's just not enough people demanding, you know, that this moves in that direction. And that's kind of why I wanted to call the the podcast surviving modern medicine, because it's, you're moving into a situation that is meant to, you know, keep you well, to save your life, to do all these things. Um, and the statistics on that actually succeeding is not so good. So there's this fun new word um, uh, I'll bring up because it's it sort of is always the argument that comes up around the subject about modern care, and the word is iatrogenic.
0: Sorry, I-o-tree-
1: iatrogenic.
0: Iatrogenic. Okay. It's a
1: fancy way of saying your treatment killed you or hurt you.
0: And this is the thing.
1: It's a thing. So depending on how you do the math, and I I think it's interesting that most people who are reporting on this always be, are always very careful, because right now the third, statistically, third leading cause of death is iatrogenic death. In North America? Uh, Especially North America, yeah.
0: Wow. So just by going to the doctor, there's a one in three chance that I'll die?
1: Uh, Is that kind of what that distills you know, down to? No, that, 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 wouldn't be the way you use the statistic because it's the third leading cause of death. So, you know, if it's heart disease or cancer or, you know, okay. other things, accidents, you know, and it, obviously different cultures or different countries are going to have different statistics around what's going to kill you. But there's our iatrogenic death and then there's our iatrogenic, uh, uh, wounding or damage or injury, right? So when you do the math around that, and then you add, uh, you know, in the number of people who get infections in hospitals and then die from the infection and, you know, complications to surgeries or people leaving their watches in their abdomen or something, you know, <laughs> you know things can go wrong. Um, it's actually the number one leading cause of death and an injury in that way. Wow. So, I mean, again, can, everyone's always careful because I don't, I guess we're trying to avoid having the, I don't know, from a surgical police come and bunk us on the head. So we all politely say, well, well, we'll just go with, it's the number three leading cause of death because saying it's the number one and then they're the number one people you go to, to try not to die. It's kind of a, you know, bit of a slap in the face, but
0: yeah, well it, um, it sounds like it's almost as if the, the patients are kind of, uh, unaware of what they can do to help themselves. Uh, but they're sort of numb to the solution that's actually helping them.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think I'd, I'd bring this up in defense of modern medicine. Um, you know, we kind of asked for this. I think it was like in the 1950s, there was this weird choice point, uh, around the, the doctors being kind of like a new priesthood, you know, and, you know, if you're wearing a, a long, you know, white lab coat, you know, you made it through med school, so you're in, you know, in some way assumed to be, uh, you know, a good person with good character and good morals and the right training and you know, the discernment to really know what you're doing and uh, do your best. I mean, the assumption is you're going to do your best to help people, and maybe that was really more of a, a direct experience, say, in the 1950s. But uh, there was sort of a weird choice point around uh, um, the way we kind of design our own culture. You know, we wanted to shop for the best, the quickest, and and you know uh, you know, kind of service we could get. And, you know, so Western doctors, I think kind of naturally kind of went along and says, okay, well, that's actually easier for me. And now I'm making a bit more money. And, you know, these drug companies are buying me computers and, you know, other things like that. So, you know, we just kind of all decided to get on the bandwagon of let's make this a passive aggressive illness management machine. And it's killing people faster than everybody else, anything else.
0: That's a little scary to think about that. I mean, I've already in my own experience, I've had a sense of that. Mm -hmm. I haven't trusted a Western doctor sort of getting stitches in my finger for any kind of medical advice and a kind of, sorry, I've trusted them for medical advice, not Mm -hmm. health advice.
1: (laughs) And I think that's the distinction. And I, I I really want to just keep repeating that I'm not against Western medicine. I know lots of Western doctors and they, they don't like the system any, any more than we do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like they literally have a playbook that says, this is how much time, this is what you can do. These are the drugs you can or can't give to these kind of people. You know, and, um, you know, it, I wouldn't say it's broken. I would just say it's paint. We've painted the whole thing as a society into a corner that we, we need to basically have a sit down with, you know, let it out of the closet and see if we can just shift it, you know, even if we could even shift it just a few degrees in, in terms of expectation and intention and, you know, results, especially around the number of people that get killed by accident. Um, you know, a lot of those diets are just people taking the wrong drugs at the wrong time or, you know, combining them with something they shouldn't have. But it's still just, you know, it's we're just too loose with it, you know, for us to be at this level of sophistication, you know, with the Internet, with everything else. You know, we, we could just be doing better.
0: Hmm. Well, that's kind of where my questioning was going to go next. The people who are listening to this podcast are probably mm-hmm. the people who are um, actively rallying against a pharmaceutical um medicine uh, because they're they've been listening to the past 22 podcasts (laughs) and here they are 23 a heck of a lot smarter um it sounds like you're saying what's wrong but do you also have some kind of uh as the title of the podcast implies survival tips
1: uh well i just want to point out another danger so we talked about the danger of actually dying you know and the danger of a passive-aggressive relationship with your health, which okay. the system has, um, you know. And here's a couple of other statistics that I think are worth throwing out there. I mean, right now, seventy percent of people, and again, this is in the states because they've got some st- startlingly strange <laughs> statistics around health. You know, seventy percent of people are on a drug. A drug. One in four people is on a psychiatric drug. One in four. Yeah
0: uh psychiatric like that zoloft stuff that you're getting uh, any,
1: any number of things and that and and right now and i, I saw this uh it actually made me want to throw up and you know hit my computer or something but uh that some pharmaceutical person was saying yeah right now children are like the biggest growth industry for us that's our, our, our growth population you know for now we have we've gone from like three primary you know vaccinations to 17. wow you have to have 17 vaccinations before you're 16 years old and they're all full of stuff that doesn't need to be there. Hmm. And I mean, I just, somebody has to, you know, stand up at once in a while and say, Mercury does not belong in a vaccination at all, never mind at that, that kind of a dose, you know. So, and, you know, there's lots of other side of extra vaccinations and stuff.
0: That's a different podcast.
1: Yeah. You know, senior citizens, um, I mean, the pharmaceutical, you know, the, pardon me, the pharmaceutical industry just loves those guys because, you know, your average senior citizen is on between 10 and 12 uh, unique pharmaceutical medications.
0: Well, and as he already described, they're the kind of people that um, they're just medicated until they're gone. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that, that's that's the survival part is to I think it's the reason I really wanted to speak to this is that if you're a person with any kind of chronic illness and you're going to be likely having to do something to manage your health or improve your health or at least keep your disease from getting worse, you're, of course, going to be uh, helped in some way by you know the model of standard care. But you're in a dangerous environment right? in the sense of it being clinically passive aggressive and, you know, very likely to eventually hurt you in some way. Uh, Unless you're lucky, you know, so the survival part is if you ever find yourself, you know, under the standard care of Western medicine for anything, you know, you need to do a heck of a lot more about your health, your lifestyle, your mindset, um, you know, in any way you can to get off of those medications if you can. And if you can't, you should still do everything you can to avoid getting on any more of them. Because very few Western medical uh, pharmaceutical drugs are actually going to do anything positive for the way physiology actually works.
0: They're not a. um, They sustain health. They don't build it. That's what comes to mind when you say that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, they're like you know little stop signs or yield signs. You know, antibiotic. You know, anti-inflammatory, antidepressant. I mean, where's the pro? You know circulation or something, or well, I guess they have stuff that helps circulation, but you know, most of what they're and we talked about this in a podcast, you know, in the early ones around how martial arts principles kind of relate to healing. And uh, most of what Western medicine does would you know basically um look like what you call blocking mm-hmm. you know, something comes flying at your head, you know, you duck, and why go looking for the source of things flying at my head? I ducked, I'm fine, it's all good,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it may happen again, but you know, I can duck. So, <laughs> But I'm wearing a helmet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or I got a helmet or, you know, and here we are, you know, it's 2016. Oh my God. You know, with the uh, changes in the environment, Um, I don't know enough of chemtrails to speak to it in, in the sense of what chemistry is going on, but, uh, you know, obviously that's not a contrail. It's there, there's something up there. You know, the theory is they're trying to use things to, you know, reflect sunlight to slow down the heating up of the planet. Who knows, but. Maybe hard to research that or maybe we could interview somebody who's really, really you know, sure. down with the science of all that. But there's a lot more going on, you know, in terms of uh, environmental exposure, you know, things that threat our epigenetic system that are going to trigger more diseases to get turned on. Um, so for the next few generations, until we clean up our happy little nest here on the planet Earth, um, the pharmaceutical route is, you know, I mean, for some reason, the Pink Floyd, the wall movie popped into my head you know people marching into something and then you turn into hamburger or something it's that's not a pro-health thing i mean they're they're, i don't know they're 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 just being passive aggressive when with the technology we have i mean we could have the healthiest fittest you know population in history Mm -hmm. and instead you know 60 percent of people well in the states and it's not that far off from canada you know are technically overweight right you know And I mean, that's going to triple your risk of like the worst things you can get, heart disease, diabetes, cancer.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I don't want to uh, uh, stop you from speaking to this whole topic, but part of me wants to say there's got to be something um, more uh, productive we can offer people in terms of information to Mm -hmm. support them to get uh, around these ideas. I mean, as I said, you know, we're all sort of swimming in the same pool. Mm -hmm. We all know what's going on. meaning the, the listeners and that sort of stuff. So um, what's your, this is the right word, what's your prescription?
1: <laughs> what, you know? Well, yeah, my, my prescription is let's just all recognize that if you are under treatment of standard care, you, know, you have a social responsibility if you choose to be socially responsible to get really, really healthy because you're sick enough to go into the most dangerous you know, kind of healthcare we've ever devised. know because it's passive-aggressive because they're using things that kill people half-handedly enough to keep killing almost does it Um, I know I think this was statistics that we're projecting into the future if we don't change something in the next few years a half a million people a year will die or be damaged by some aspect of modern medicine
0: Wow that's epic
1: yeah so again i mean i don't have the the big prescription solution to everything you know in in the sense of oh we just need to you know i mean well i do let's train young doctors better so as they replace the people who you know are still thinking the 1950s was cool um you know we'll just decide as as a evolution revolution to just change the system from the inside out so that they will feel better about themselves I mean, how many doctors, you know, you know, are drinking that extra gin and tonic before bed because of how many people are dead because the system's kind of broken, mm, right? I mean, you know, when I have patients who pass because I can't help them, it's they're too old, the disease is, you know, taking them. Out. You know, I, I I grieve that. I mean, it's a loss. I mean, these people are kind of anyway my friends. I mean, I get to know them very well. So when someone passes, because I mean, the world works that way. People do die. Uh, for me, it's not an easy thing. I can't imagine how I would feel if I had prescribed them a bunch of stuff and it killed them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's probably a drug for that.
1: <laughs> oh my god, that's really funny. <laughs> In a really bad way, but
0: <laughs> no. But I'm serious. I mean, if, there, if if society, as I mean, as you describe it, I had my own experience with it. Mm-hmm. I've seen my own. Uh, pseudo, uh, drug commercial kind right. of things in my life. And, uh, I too have a belief that, uh, Western medicine is kind of broken mm-hmm. as much as it's the most, uh, effective, uh, model out there just because it's the biggest one doesn't mean it's the smartest choice.
1: No, but I mean, I just imagine if, if clinicians trained that way and we all have to do like two years of med school, no matter what kind of doctor you are, you have to have the basic first two years. Um, so we all have a pretty—I don't know—everybody knows what, we, what everybody needs to know to do this, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it's just an attitude thing, and I—I w- I would say it's a very complicit kind of arrogance, you know, to to just keep producing, and, and um, maintaining, and holding up a system that is, you know, the most dangerous thing out there, in with respect to the thing it's actually brought into being for you know i mean that's got to be a slap in the face for western medicine if it had a soul you know it's like man i feel bad you know i'm supposed to be the best you know rock star on the planet for healing people and i'm the worst uh, statistically for people
0: yeah are, are there statistics that actually um point to i guess surgir- surgical procedures or um things that western medicine is doing surgical medicine is doing that are actually um good like you know since 1950 we've done this many procedures on this and people are living longer because of it
1: i mean the science is obviously doing what science does which is continually figuring new stuff out so they're doing the best at what they can do the best at and they're doing the worst at what they could be doing the best at (laughs) so it's you know that that i mean that's my thing i mean i'm i'm pro medicine i'm a doctor of the ilk of doctors i'm you know from and, and all of that it's just you know You know, just I spend more time talking to you know mainstream doctors because you know now that functional medicine's a thing, they come to conferences and we get to know each other and you know and most of them are very dissatisfied with the system too. You know, they they're not going, yeah, I can't believe I'm so lucky. I sit here and you know, what's your name again? Oh yeah, here's your drug. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they 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 went through more school than anybody else I think has to go through to get the you know the license and the responsibility to do that job. You know, so they're clearly passionate, driven, you know, people that wanting to help people.
0: Well, I always think of doctors as kind of, um, in the same sort of mindset as people who are uh, engineers or mechanics or mechanically minded, like they like to fix things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they just somewhere along the line were given, you know, instead of having to doing math in long form, they were all given calculators. Um, and they just come to the table now, instead of having that sort of time to sort of sit and reason a problem out Mm -hmm. and to look at the mechanics behind why something is wrong they just come to okay i need to add up a solution here real quick let me just get up my little druggy calculator and Mm -hmm. here's your solution
1: yeah there was a statistic that came out was 2006 um in they interviewed i don't know something like 1500 you know mainstream you know frontline clinicians working in an office you know, or a walk-in clinic or whatever. And it was kind of like a little oral exam that they did. And most doctors remembered uh, correctly uh, and used almost always 25 pharmaceutical drugs. Like They went to school for 10 years, and now they sit there and give people access to, on average, one of 25 or six of 25 different drugs. I mean, there's many, many pharmaceuticals, but Mm -hmm. most of them just, you know, for most of their career, they prescribe on average 25 different things.
0: That's kind of crazy. You
1: know? So, yeah. but I mean, that's, that's what we as a culture as a society, we asked for We said, okay, it's cheap, efficient, you know, whatever, you know, cause we're, it's like the, it's turning almost like the fast food of medicine. Mm hmm. You know, you go to them and, you know, drive-through or something like that. And, well, it's going to be one of 25 drugs probably, so.
0: Can know. I have an order of fries and some Xanax? <laughs>
1: you know, and I'm, I'm and in a, a milkshake. I'm, yeah, <laughs> And something to, you know, cure you from whatever it is in milkshakes. <laughs> it's not milk, you know. But anyway, it's not about, you know, just boo-hooing and, and spanking mustard medicine. It's just to begin that conversation is we all know it has to be done better. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my thing is, if you're on any kind of pharmaceutical, you should buy, so somebody, I mean, if I was going to take over the, I don't know, about the president or the prime minister or something, I would make it a rule that if you had to go to a doctor for a chronic illness and were given a drug, you would have to go see someone who does preventative medicine to try and get you off that drug.
0: A doctor before you see a doctor.
1: Well, I call it the doctor after the doctor. So you go to the walk-in clinic, or you, you know, come out of whatever you know you're in the hospital for a while or something, and you know they're not going to take care of you. you know, once you're out of the hospital, you know you get out of that wheelchair to keep their insurance company happy, and then uh, you're you know off off to the thing. And especially on things like you're you know having your appendix out, your gallbladder out. You know they they do that all the time, and there's ways that we could actually solve those problems and save those organs. But they seem to be kind of useless. So, you know, toss it in the bin. People leave the hospital without even a little, you know, glossy brochure on. Now your entire life is going to change. And you can't eat this anymore. And you have to do these things all the time. And,
0: yeah, well, I, th- I think I mentioned that in a, a previous <coughs> podcast. Um, my neighbor had um, a huge gallbladder attack, um, took him out, went to the hospital. He was fine after a good night's sleep. Uh, the next day, it, it happened again. And, you know, uh, he was you know, in pain by noon and by five o'clock he was out of the hospital. Um, and by eight o'clock he was pulling up in the driveway, hops out of the car with the old McDonald's bag in his hand. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a million bucks. Oh, man, I was starving. That hospital food is a crap. You know, it's like <laughs> so, something about that whole thing just seems kind
1: of silly. But, well, I mean, again, it's clinically passive-aggressive, Yeah. you know, and dangerous.
0: So it's, it's inspiring when you, you know – I, I always like to see the glasses being half full to, mm-hmm. to overflowing, right? I mean, as, as we're talking today, I get the sense that uh, whatever it is we're doing here is um, really driving home the idea that uh, your health is in your own hands. Um, and that um, it's a good thing to listen to podcasts like this or other health-related things or to ask questions or read books. How many of you got on your shelf behind you there? A couple hundred. You know, there's that shelf anyway right? <laughs>
1: this is a small one right so uh, yeah i'm I admit it
0: <laughs> yeah um you know to, to to really um encourage people listening that that's a, a good healthy thing to do but to, 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 i would even say that you know share that idea
1: and it should be our standard care until we fix it if you are be given a drug you should be like socially demanded by somebody to go and see somebody who is actually going to try and help you get off the drug because mm-hmm. right? they're they're not safe,
0: right? Yeah, and um, in your practice, um, I'm sure you see people that have come from traditional um, Western medicine. Traditional can you even say that Western medicine isn't that old? <laughs> traditional Chinese medicine versus Western medicine. So people who have come from the Western medical medical uh, stream. Um, who are kind of, you know, on drugs or in that sort of channel? Um, is it hard for them to sort of pick up the ball as you're, as you're playing?
1: Yeah, and, and that's why I guess my my I have a sadness about that because I have patients who come in and they're like, oh, I'm on this and this and this, and I'm like, what do you would will uh, would you like to get off of them? Oh no, that's fine. I just want to fix my sciatica or something. I'm like, okay, but you're on a statin and it's like. 25% likelihood your sciatica is actually because of the statin, because of how it affects neurological pain, you know, but they're like, no, I'll just put the needle in my bum. Thanks. I'm like, okay. Hmm. Whereas other people come in and they're like, I, 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 I oh got, I'm sick. I, I got all these drugs and I, I mean, what do I do? And I'm like, let's get you into the best shape of your life. It may take us a couple of years, but that's on the menu of possible.
0: And people do dine from that menu.
1: Uh, well, I mean, it's my favorite thing to do is to get people off of drugs, hmm. you know, if I can.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, is there anything more that, uh, that you need to talk to us about uh, around surviving?
1: Well, it just, I mean, I, I called it that because you're in a survival situation. If you're, you know, your primary mode of care uh, is, you know, Western medicine, you know, that's not the safest you know, more wisest thing to do. I mean, in, in any emergency, obviously, that's where I would be. I'd be in the emergency ward too. But it isn't healthcare. It, maybe it was in the past, and now it's turned into illness management. And the pharmaceutical guys are, you know, making, what is that, half of $500 billion a year or something like that? Wow. I, I can't quote that as, as an actual number, but it's close. You know, those guys, they don't want to take a hit, Right. They're like, no way, man. We just paid $500 billion. you think we're going to go for $200 billion and, you know, promote, you know, fitness?
0: <laughs> it's funny because every time um, I see something related to health, um, different articles that I read about, oh, you've got diabetes. Oh, you've got uh, acid reflux, blah, 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 blah. The recipe is always diet and exercise and fresh air and sunshine. Something really simple. mm mm-hmm. Um, and it almost seems like a trite afterthought because they've just built up this whole story about, Oh, you could, you know, your legs are going to swell and we'll have to amputate your ankles and amputate from your ankles. Like, I don't know, some kind of huge traumatic thing that could happen because of this big disease, or you could just eat some
1: carrots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And again, that's the passive aggressive part, you know? So, you know, if, if we're all in, in this together as, as a society, Um, so um, all I can say is if you're under this, you know, the model of standard care, you know, it's your social responsibility to get well, Mm. because otherwise you're just, you know, maintaining a passive aggressive relationship with every human being's health, not just yours.
0: That sounds like a good place to leave it for today. Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Um, this has been Fusion Health Radio episode 23, Surviving Modern Medicine. Uh, I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith um this is the point of the podcast where michael and i actually talk about what it is we'd like you to do with what you've heard today uh, one of those things is share that information with your friends facebook is a great place to do it um, we are on facebook uh, look for fusion health radio there uh, you can find our podcasts online just by searching fusion health radio and you can get them in itunes you can subscribe to the podcast there so you don't miss anything and you can get the complete library. And if you're in iTunes, uh, please do write us a review, review especially if you're Canadian. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Michael and I were talking about is uh, how the Canadian versus the U.S. Um, iTunes scenario works. Uh, Canadian reviews good.
1: good. Uh, all reviews are good. It just doesn't show up uh, in Canada <laughs> if you're from the States. So, yeah. so you just have to use the U.S. version.
0: Absolutely. And um, if you've got any questions for Michael um or any kind of health related questions uh you can ask me and i'll ask michael (laughs) remember i'm not the doctor uh facebook would be a great place to do that you can post your comments concerns questions criticisms we want to hear it all put it all up there um anything else you want to say about the podcast today michael
1: uh yeah please subscribe rate and review all that fun stuff and if there's something you'd like us to talk about um just yeah send a a question yeah through social media or however else you'd be able to contact me or anthony and just say yeah i'd like to hear a podcast about x y or z
0: yeah sounds like a sounds like a plan uh that wraps up today's show thanks for listening uh, fusion health radio is the health lifestyle and mindset podcast featuring dr michael smith i'm your host anthony Santa, and we will see you next time
1: you have been listening to fusion health radio Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.